0: Welcome to Who is Jesus, a limited edition podcast by Central Western Church in St. Louis. Each week, we explore a different aspect of Jesus' life, identity, self understanding, and purpose in the world. Our goal is to look beyond the hot takes to the historical sources themselves in order to see more clearly who Jesus is and why it matters for us. For more information about Jesus or about Central Western Church, please visit www.centralwestendchurch.com. And now, please enjoy this week's episode of Who is Jesus? Good morning. Our passage this morning is from Mark 10, 35 to 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Him is Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard about this, the 10 is the other disciples, they became indignant with James and John Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord.
1: Christian Smith is a sociologist who's probably best known for his research on the spiritual lives of young people. Uh, But in one of his lesser known books, He makes an interesting observation about all human beings in general. He says this, for all of our science, rationality, and technology, we moderns not only continue to be animals who make stories, but also animals who are made by our stories. As human beings, we live by stories. So for instance, if you, uh, you know how when you meet someone for the first time and one of our go-to questions is, so tell me, what do you do? Does anybody else detest that question? What if somebody shocked you, and instead of saying, what do you do, they said, tell me your story. If somebody asked you that, would you stand there and scratch your head and say, what do you mean? Of course not. We know intuitively what they mean, because as human beings, we live by stories. We don't just make stories. We're made by stories our stories the stories that we make shape our world and we shape the lives we live in this world because stories tell us what's important but also what's trivial stories tell us what to do but also what not to do perhaps most importantly stories tell us who we are because things like meaning purpose and love only make sense in the context of a story do you ever feel like the story of this world and our lives in this world um, is the story of something out of sorts that needs to be set right or something missing that needs finding or something broken that needs healing or something lost that needs recovery. I don't know about you but I often feel that way and I'm willing to bet that most of you do too at least some of the time. Here's the question. If this world really is a place that is in need of recovery, a place that's out of sorts and lost, Um, Then is setting things right, is that really possible? Does the recovery and healing we long for, does that really exist? And if so, how does it happen? Because it sure hasn't happened yet. We're in a series in which we're asking the question, who is Jesus? Each week, we're looking at a different aspect of Jesus' life, identity, self-understanding, and work in this world. This week, we're looking at what is one of the most contentious things Jesus ever said. He called himself a ransom, which means redemption. What, What does that mean? And what, if anything, does it have to do with our longing to see things set right in this world? Well, let's take a look at this passage and ask three questions. We're going to ask, what is redemption? Second, why do we need it? And third, how do we find it? What is redemption? Why do we need it? And how do we find it? Okay? First, what is redemption? Verse 45 is one of the most famous things Jesus ever said. He says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, you see that little word for that's a word that means instead of or in place of jesus is saying that he's not just an example to us his life is a a substitute for us but a substitute for what well look at this word ransom we usually think of this word in connection with kidnapping but in the ancient world it referred to a price paid to purchase the freedom of someone who is a slave or a prisoner So Jesus is saying that his life is our substitute, that he's our ransom to set us free. But here's the big question, free from what? Well, if we go back to the beginning of this passage, this this story about how James and John come and have this conversation with Jesus, and Jesus says, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Now, in the Hebrew scriptures, The cup is an image that almost always refers to God's judgment on evil, which means that as modern people, we've got a big problem with this, because the question always comes up, why is God so angry? Why the wrath? Why this need for judgment? Why why can't we just have a loving God? The whole idea of God's wrath and judgment on sin, it just feels so barbaric and primitive and bloodthirsty. And we struggle with this as modern people. Now, we're going to come back to this question in just a bit. But for now, I want us to think together about something. This word ransom that Jesus uses is a word that means redemption. So whenever you see the word redemption in the Bible, uh, that word comes from the same root as the word ransom. They're both talking about the same thing. What is redemption? Redemption. Maybe the simplest way to describe it is to say that redemption means to recover or to win back something that's lost. And the greater the value of the thing that's lost, the higher the price of redemption. Hold on to that idea. We'll come back to that too in just a minute. But redemption means um, to win back or recover something incredibly valuable that's been lost so remember at the beginning, we just said that we intuitively feel that the story of this world is the story of this place that is in desperate need of recovery and healing and setting things right, which means that the stories that move us the most are always redemptive stories. So for instance, in the Hunger Games, Katniss Everdeen substitutes herself for her little sister. I volunteer as tribute. She, um, she redeems the life of her little sister by going to almost certain death herself. And and when it happens in the movie, I mean, there's all this emotion. You're weeping yourself. She's her sister's substitute. Or, of course, the example par excellence is Lily Potter, who gives up her life to save her baby Harry from the dark lord Voldemort. Lily is Harry's substitute. The most powerful stories are always redemptive stories that Um, in which somebody substitutes their life to save someone else. And listen, it's not just books and movies. You may be familiar with the story of Maximilian Kolbe. He was a Catholic priest um, who was at the, the notorious Auschwitz death camp during World War II. One day when he was there, a prisoner escaped, and the Nazi guards rounded up 10 other prisoners to execute them as punishment for the escape. One of the condemned men uh, started lamenting loudly because he had a family. He was never going to see them again. They were never going to see him again. Maximilian Colby was standing there and he heard this fellow lamenting. And so he turned and he said to the guards, let me take his place. I am old. This man has a wife and children. So they took him. They put him in a cell for 15 days where they beat him and starved him. And eventually they killed him by lethal injection. Maximum. Maximilian Colby was the other man's substitute. The stories that move us the most are always redemptive stories. Why? I would suggest it's because we intuitively sense that our world is in need of redemption. We, we intuitively sense that, and we can see it when we look at the stories that we use to shape our lives in this world. They're redemptive stories, and redemptive stories always have three main components. Number one, there's always some golden age of goodness or innocence in the past. Number two, there's uh, that goodness is lost to some evil that's entered into, into the world. And then number three, a redemptive story always talks about the recovery of that lost goodness or what we call redemption. So in our world, the, the stories we live by in this world are almost always redemptive stories. Let me give you just a few examples. First of all, um, classical liberalism is a redemptive story that says, once upon a time, human beings were free and happy. But then, some people's individual freedom came into conflict with other people's individual freedom. And the solution is a political um, society in which everybody's free to live however they want, as long as their freedom doesn't interfere with somebody else's freedom to live however they want. Or, socialism is another redemptive story that says, once upon a time, people were equal and shared the same resources. But then, some people decided they want their own personal property, my land, my farm, my animals. And the result was social inequality and oppression. The solution, or redemption, is to share the means of production so that we can have social equality. Or let me give you a much more recent redemptive story, one we could call the story of therapeutic wellness. This is a story, a redemptive story, that says, once upon a time, human beings were affirmed and felt good about themselves. But then we were traumatized by oppressive institutions and externally imposed norms and identities. The solution, or redemption, is a customized wellness program that nurtures our true, authentic self. Each of these stories is is holding up some really good thing like freedom or equality or authenticity and saying that it's lost and we really, really long for the redemption of these things. Now, here's the question I want to ask, why? And I'm not just being facetious with that question. Was there really some golden age in the past when we perfectly experienced all of these things? Not as far as history shows us. In fact, history says the opposite. So if we've never fully experienced these things, why do we even believe they exist? And therefore, why would we even say that they're lost? And if they've never been lost, why do we have such a passionate longing to redeem these things? Listen, I know I'm drawing this whole thing out, but do you see the point? If there is no God and this world is all there is, then there's nothing to redeem because nothing was ever lost in the first place and yet we long for the redemption of these things we have these redemptive stories but but if there's no god there's nothing to redeem because there's nothing that's ever been lost which means that all of our redemptive stories maybe it's a a genetic code that helps our species to survive but at the end of the day they're lies do you feel like your longing for redemption is a lie if not then i want to invite you to join us as we look at the next question We've just seen what is redemption, but next, why do we need it? Remember what we've seen so far. Redemption means the recovery of something that's lost and we intuitively sense that, that our world is in need of redemption. But here's Jesus and he says that his life is a ransom that sets us free from the cup of God's judgment on evil. And as modern people, again, we really struggle with this. I mean, just, this just feels so offensive to us, this whole idea of God's wrath and the, and the idea of blood atonement. We feel it's just so bloodthirsty and barbaric and, and primitive. That, that's a fair question. The, the question comes up, why the wrath? Why the anger? Why can't God just forgive us? That is a fair question. This story we read points us toward an answer. If we go back to the beginning of the story, remember James and John, these two disciples, they come to Jesus and they say, let, us, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. Now, here's what's going on. If you've been with us throughout this series, you may remember that um, the Messiah or the Christ was this king that God had promised to send who would rescue the whole world from evil and renew all of creation It was this amazing worldwide vision. But by the time Jesus showed up, that worldwide vision had gotten shrunk down to where they thought of the Messiah as a strictly military king who would crush the Romans and restore the nation of Israel to political dominance. It was a very narrow nationalist vision. So here's James and John. They're they're basically saying, hey, Jesus, when you kick out the Romans and set up your cabinet, we want to be secretary of state and secretary of defense they basically just wanted status and power and glory for themselves what happens next it says when the 10 that's the 10 other disciples when they heard about this they became indignant let me ask you a question do you think they were right to feel indignant i mean here's james and john they want status at the expense of others they want power over others And even though the other ten disciples, you know, they basically want the same things for themselves. But still, I mean, you know, this impulse for status and power over others, that's where death camps come from. When we see that, I think we're right to feel indignant. Because whenever we see evil and injustice in this world, we intuitively know somebody has to pay for this. One word for that is reparations. For instance, after World War II... Germany paid hundreds of millions of dollars as financial reparations for Jewish suffering during the Holocaust and as financial reparations for Jewish property that was stolen by the Nazis. We do not say, well, why can't Jewish people just forgive? Somebody has to pay for that. Or you may know that um, The United States government paid reparations to Japanese Americans who were incarcerated in internment camps right here in America during World War II. Um, Not as well known is that there were hundreds of thousands of Korean women, they were called comfort women, who were um, forced into sex slavery by the Japanese during World War II. Now they did receive a mere pittance of reparations sometime in the 1990s. But we don't say, why can't Japanese Americans and Korean comfort women just forgive? Somebody has to pay for that. Or even today, the debate continues in our own country about whether or not the American government will ever pay financial reparations to African-Americans for the hundreds of years of slavery they endured in this country. We don't say, why can't African-Americans just forgive? Somebody has to pay for it. When we see evil and injustice in this world, we intuitively know somebody has to pay for it. We're not offended by that. We cry out for that. Why would it be any different with God? In fact, why wouldn't it be infinitely more so with God? When Jesus says that, that he, he gives his life as a ransom for many, he's saying that his life is reparations for a cosmic debt we owe to God. Do you never feel the weight of the things that you've done in this world? Things that have created a deficit or, or a hole or a debt that... that cries out to be covered and atoned for let me tell you a story about myself Um, I remember when I was a kid I was about 10 years old and one day I was at a park with some friends and one of my friends found a little frog about the size of a half dollar coin and I, I stuck up my hand and I said hey can I see that and my friend put the frog in my hand and without even thinking about it I threw the frog down on the ground as hard as I could instantly killing it I don't even know why I did it except to tell you that I I think it was some very sick way of showing off. I do know that I instantly felt deeply ashamed of what I had done because it was so cruel and wicked. I have told that story to very few people, but I have never stopped thinking about it. And you might say, well, Eric, you were just a stupid kid. Yeah, I was a stupid kid. But I will tell you that as a full-grown adult, I have done things just as cruel and wicked, if not more so. Haven't you? Friends, listen. Here's the amazing thing about this. Remember what we saw. In the ancient world, a ransom was a price paid to purchase the freedom of a slave or a prisoner. Even in our own world, a ransom is a price paid to purchase the freedom of somebody who's been kidnapped. But do you see? A ransom doesn't just pay a debt whether a financial debt or a legal debt, a ransom sets people free. That's what we need. That's real redemption because it's not just forgiveness, it's transformation. And we need both of those things. A world full of people who were only forgiven wouldn't change the world very much, would it? We need both forgiveness and transformation Because real redemption isn't just forgiveness. It means a world in which broken things are healed, where wrong things are set right, where lost things are recovered. That's real redemption. And that's what we need. In other words, I don't only need to be forgiven for what I did to that poor frog. I need to be transformed into the kind of person that couldn't even imagine doing something like that in the first place. I am not that person yet. I want to be i need to be don't you if if you do then that leads to our last question we've asked what is redemption it's to recover something that's lost why do we need it because we need more than just forgiveness we need transformation but lastly how do we find it because remember what we've seen what is it we really need we have this cosmic debt of guilt to god For which we need forgiveness we also have cosmic slavery to sin for which we need transformation that means that we need a god who's loving enough to forgive us our debts but also a god who's powerful enough to set us free from slavery where are we going to get that Well, let's go back to what Jesus says here in this passage. You know, part of our problem as modern people is is we are so unfamiliar with the Bible that we don't realize how revolutionary what Jesus is saying here is. But if we go back, look at what he says. He he calls himself the Son of Man. Now, that's a phrase that comes from Daniel chapter 7. And we saw a couple of weeks ago that this figure, the Son of Man, is a divine figure who sits on God's throne. Shares God's glory, exercises God's dominion, and rules over God's kingdom. Jesus is saying, That's me. And when the disciples hear this, they, um, this plays into all of their expectations about what they thought the Messiah was supposed to be this mighty, powerful king who would crush their Roman enemies and, um, and restore the nation of Israel to political dominance. Viva la Revolution! There was nothing about this that would have been surprising to the disciples but then jesus goes on to say the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many now when jesus talks about when he says he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many those words that's all referring to isaiah chapter 53 it's not apparent to us because we're not familiar with the Bible. But in Isaiah 53, there's this mysterious figure called the suffering servant. The suffering servant is this individual person who substitutes himself as a sacrificial honor offering to set the people free from sin. That's what's happening in the chapter, and I encourage you to read the whole chapter for yourself, but let's just pull out a few verses so you can see what Jesus is talking about. Listen to what Isaiah says about the suffering servant. He says, The Lord makes his life an offering for sin. After he has suffered, my righteous servant will justify many because he poured out his life unto death and he bore the sin of many. Do you see the echoes here of what Jesus is saying? Friends, here are these two figures, this divine powerful son of man and this sacrificial suffering servant. In the Jewish imagination, they had always thought of these two as two separate people and as two completely separate roles until Jesus. Jesus was the first person in the history of the world who ever brought both of these figures together and said, they're both the same person because both of them are me. Do you realize what Jesus is saying? And even more on the cross, do you realize what Jesus is doing? The suffering servant is the one who's so loving that he substitutes himself as our sacrifice to set us free from our cosmic debt of sin. But the Son of Man is the one who's so powerful that he asserts himself as our Savior to set us free from our cosmic slavery to sin. On the cross, Jesus combines two things that nobody else in the history of the world ever combined, son of man and suffering servant, glory and suffering, victory and sacrifice, love and power, forgiveness and transformation. We need both. Do you know what real redemption is and how we find it? let me try to put this as simply as I can. Jesus not only pays our cosmic debt of sin, he frees us from the cosmic slavery of sin. Forgiveness and transformation. We need both because real redemption isn't real redemption unless we have both. Jesus gives it to us. So if you're a Christian, this is life-changing. And I mean that literally life-changing. Because, um, One of the things that is most discouraging to us so often as Christians is the fact that we continue so often to struggle with sin. So much so that it's easy to think, well, maybe I wasn't really a Christian in the first place. Maybe I need to go back and pray that prayer again or walk that aisle again or get baptized again because obviously the first time didn't take, or the second time, or the third, or the fourth, or the fifth time. You know what's going on? If we only see redemption as forgiveness of sins, then we are either going to be deeply confused and discouraged when we continue to struggle with sin, or we're going to be in deep denial about our struggle with sin. Either way, we walk into church and we feel like, nobody else can know what's going on in my life because nobody else is struggling. But Jesus not only pays our cosmic debt of sin, he frees us from the cosmic slavery of sin. The Bible talks about this in terms of three things. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now I know those are big, scary theological words. But here's what these things mean on the ground in real time, which is where most of us live our lives, because these things affect our real lives. Here's how. Justification means that um, that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's something that happened in the past, it's a a once for all event It, it doesn't need to be repeated again Jesus died on the cross in the past on the cross he said it is finished you know how we said earlier that the greater the value of something the higher the price of redemption how valuable how precious do you have to be for the God of the universe to give his life to redeem you there's nothing more precious, nothing more valuable than that. Jesus saved you once for all from the penalty of your sin. That's a legal verdict. It's been applied to you. It doesn't need to go back and be changed or done again. It's happened in the past once for all. But second, sanctification means that in the present, we are currently being saved from the power of sin. That's different from the penalty. The penalty is taken care of, but the power of sin remains in our lives. But here's what this means. Today, if you're a Christian, you have the power both to say yes to sin, but also to say no to sin. You have that power. Jesus has set you free from slavery. Now, I personally say yes far too frequently and no, not nearly as frequently as I ought to, but the point is we are being saved from the power of sin today in our lives. And glorification simply means that one day in the future, we will be saved completely from the very presence of sin in our lives. Penalty, power, and presence— So many of our greatest struggles as Christians come from being deeply confused about the difference between these things. Listen, friends, until the day you die or Jesus comes back to make all things new, whichever comes first, we are going to have the presence of sin in our hearts and in our lives. It's it's there. It's going to be there. And so even though there may be a season of time um, when sin is inactive or quiescent or dormant it 's going to pop up it 's going to wake up and spring to life it 's it, going to happen. The point is don 't be shocked by that it doesn 't mean that you need to go back and become a Christian again. It means that you 're on the main path and you need to keep walking, so just keep walking, keep trusting in Jesus because he's saving you from the very power of sin. That's redemption. But listen, if you are exploring faith this morning, I want to maybe gently challenge you to consider the, um, which story you're living in. Remember we said that the, the stories we live by in this world are redemptive stories. What story are you living in? Whether it's the story of liberalism, or socialism, or therapeutic wellness, or any of the dozens of other stories that fill our world. But the point is, they're all redemptive stories. They're all redemptive stories. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, the true original redemptive story, the gospel story, burst into the world and said, once upon a time, the world was good. And humans were in love with God and with each other. We were at peace with God And with each other but then we wanted to be our own God and as a result that shattered our relationship with God with ourselves with each other and with all of creation and as a result all of the world is falling apart that means that we're fighting against God against ourselves against each other and against creation always trying to get mastery over everything but it never works our science technology and politics Our religious rules and regulations, none of it works. Our spiritual modes and techniques, none of that works. We're we're trying to get redemption and mastery over the world in our own power, but it never works. But Jesus doesn't just pay our cosmic debt of sin. He frees us from the cosmic slavery to sin. So if you're exploring faith, I want to encourage you to consider the story that you're living in. Because the gospel is the true original redemptive stories. All the other redemptive stories in our world come from the gospel's redemptive story. Our world is full of alternative redemptive stories because we can't escape our need for redemption and yet we keep trying to redeem ourselves. Can we ask the question, how's that working for us? If you're exploring faith, I would invite you to consider the story, the only story that can really give us the redemption we long for because it's the only story that gives us the redeemer we need. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of Man, the suffering servant, the one who rescues us, not just from the debt of sin, but the slavery of sin, who renews all of creation and brings all of us home. Do you see that story? And even more importantly, are you living in that story? If you're willing, would you pray with me? Abba, Father, we thank you for the story of this world it's the only story it's the true story we thank you for how you're at work in this story that you created this world good and that even though uh, we lost that goodness we lost that innocent innocence through our own rebellion against you and our desire to be god that nonetheless you are recovering us you're renewing us you're healing us you're setting things right by setting us right by freeing us from our debt and also from our slave uh, slavery so father we pray today that you would bring not just that forgiveness but that transformation ever more deeply into our lives that we would be free lord jesus in you we are free help us to live out that freedom by living more faithfully in your story for we pray all of these things in jesus name Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Who is Jesus? For more information about Jesus or about Central West End Church, please visit www.centralwestendchurch.com.